Computer, initialize Holosuite. to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 3, Episode 24, Shakar. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are awesome. Um, I will apologize, though, that for the last, I'm going to say the last week and maybe a little bit longer, maybe a day or two longer, um, have been having some technical difficulties on uh, Twitter with posting and things like that. Um, Apparently, the great, you know, managers of Twitter have changed a lot of things, and so the way in which we're able to have access and post information about the episodes and uh, the After Dark stuff and like that has all been um, really just tossed, is the best way to describe it. So, having to do some things to get things back up to where they were, and that's taking a bit more doing than I thought. So, bear with us while we get everything back up and running. I promise that it will happen. Um, It's just taking a little bit longer than I anticipated to get done. So, um, yeah, I apologize for that. But, um, again, still try to find us, follow us. We're still the Fire Caves. Our our Twitter page is still there. There's just no new posting from the past week. And then uh, once we get everything back up and running, of course, we'll let you know. Right. But in the meantime... You can still find all of our stuff on Facebook, of course. And, uh, yeah, we're still going to give you great content about Deep Space Nine and other Trek stuff. And speaking of other Trek stuff, I'm going to preempt the other thing that we normally do, which is asking about our weeks, because we had something major happen this week, this past week, and I'm so excited about it. I we just have to get to it, because I'm going to lose my mind if you don't. And that is, of course, the premiere of Season 3 the final season of Star Trek Picard. Uh, the episode aired on the 16th, which was this past Thursday. And um, if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. If you are a fan of the next generation, you have to go watch this. I would even say that it's so good, you don't even need to have watched other stuff in Picard to watch this. You need to have watched Next Generation, yes, but you don't necessarily need to have watched Deep Space Nine, Voyager, any of the rest of those. Even, again, the other two seasons of Picard, you don't really have to have watched much of them, or at all, to watch at least this first episode. Now, if that's going to hold true for the entire season, I don't know. I don't know what Easter eggs are planned, if there's going to be other characters from other shows that drop in, and maybe you don't know who they are, whatever. But I'm just saying, for this first episode, it was great, and you don't need any of that. I mean, David, the, it, it was everything. Like the nostalgia was there, but it was it was perfect. It wasn't an overload that made it, you know, cliche, right, or trope heavy or anything like that. Um, okay. It uh, they used some of the music from the older movies from the seventies, you know, with with Kirk and Spock and all them. They used some of the music from there, but it was tied in so well that it just like 
it fit in the moment. Like I ended up, I ended up watching it twice, to be honest, like back to back, because there were so many things that like I would hear them and just have my little, you know, geek moment. But then it would mean that I, <laughs> I missed something else. So that's why I watched it again and found other things. Um, right. I, I honestly think that it's what what we need Star Trek to be right now. I think the other shows like Discovery and Strange New Worlds, I think they're trying, and I think they hit a lot of right notes with some stuff, but at least what I'm seeing in this first episode, and I know that this, I'm pounding a lot here onto this first episode of the third season, but one of the things that I've always felt was an issue with Star Trek was how it it didn't reconcile enough for me with our reality with with the way in which our world is right we we have great areas and great moments and great people and things like that but we also have a lot of darkness and negative things that happen in our world too it's kind of you know it's obviously both right and star trek has always said that you know humanity solved a lot of those problems and or all of those problems really and moved out into the galaxy and that was kind of the message that gene roddenberry was going for was that humanity had solved its issues and was now ready to be a part of a larger galactic community well right but one thing that i enjoyed about that was that we would go that you know star trek would take us to these other places and they hadn't necessarily solved all of their problems all their issues you know and we were right we were helping them like humanity and you know, the Federation and Starfleet, of course, trying to help with, with these scenarios. Um, I feel like we kind of got away from that a bit and made everything more about like monster of the month or monster of the week and what new cool ship design and things like that. You know, this takes us back to that, right? We see, you know, officers who are, you know, they're undercover and they're living in areas that seem far less than utopian in order to gather information. They're trying to stop various threats and there's some big bad that's lurking out there they've become aware of and they're, you know, trying to do all of these things. And to me, that especially Next Generation, that's what Next Generation was all about, going into these areas and finding out that there was a, a hidden problem in an otherwise pristine world. You know, right, and right. Uh, I feel like this first episode really set us up for that. So, um, yeah, if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. And I thought that it, it was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. I thought it was beautiful. I thought that the the filming was great. Uh, the the look of the new ships that they showed in the interiors. Fantastic. I loved even the, the attention to detail of having like certain decals and emblemage on, you know, seats and certain uniforms. stuff. It was it was great. Can't say enough about the, the <laughs> visuals on it. Great stuff. So you should go watch it if if for that alone. And then, <laughs> last but not least, you get to have your favorites are back: Picard and uh, Riker. And you know they, uh, yes, Seven of Nine is there, and there's going to be lead ups to the other characters. You know Beverly Crusher and Worf and everybody. They're they're coming. You know, we got to meet one of Jordy LaForge's uh, daughters in the episode. You know, it's it's. There's a lot of great stuff there on that level, too. And um, if I can just say as a personal side, I feel like Jonathan Frakes is having the best time. He looks like he is enjoying everything. Like, I don't know what it is about the guy, but like in every scene, he's got this little smile, smirk thing. Even when he's being serious, (laughs) it drops away. And I mean, he just looks like he's like, I could just imagine him behind the scenes being like, yeah, ready to go again. Like, let's do it again. Like, he just, he looks so happy. 
and right. I love seeing it. So yeah, it's just um, <laughs> if for that reason alone, if you like Jonathan Frakes, watching it for him seeming like he's just a kid in a candy store is definitely up your alley, man. Yeah, I'm surprised in some ways. I mean, maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, like there hasn't been like a show that kind of focuses on him on some level, even as an admiral. Like if a Deep Space Nine shows us what it's like on a station. Let's see what it's like being as a part of the Federation Admiralty, where you may not be, you know, jet, jetting around to all the planets and everything, but yeah. you're having to, as you were just saying, uh, deal with the more high end, uh, you know, the cultures that have not yet advanced like humanity has, and yeah. having to like negotiate those, but from a more top down level. Um, I mean, I know, I think he's appeared on one of the other shows, he one was of the more on, new shows, right? Well, he's. The, the cartoon version of him and Deanna are featured every so often on the uh, Lower Decks <laughs> show, and that's a lot of fun okay. to watch it. But that's when he is Captain Riker of the Titan. So it's a younger him ah. than what we're seeing here in Picard. And then um, he does did... Does Jonathan Frakes do the voice yes, he does. of the character? As does okay. Marina okay. Sirtis. She's, she's playing Deanna as well. So it, it's good. great to see them in any form, really. But yeah. <laughs> um, but you know speaking of what you were talking about about seeing things from the Admiralty's perspective we do get that a bit because we have Picard who is Admiral Picard but he's retired Admiral Picard so you have to deal with, with that but um, it does give us an element that goes back to TNG that we're now seeing on the other side we're, we're seeing from the other side which was um, how many times did we see a foreign ambassador dignitary or uh, someone else in the chain of command another admiral from somewhere an admiral this rear admiral that whatever show up on the enterprise and take command right or say that there's a vital mission that they're on and they it's need to know and they're not going to tell the captain what's going on and we see the captain you know captain picard was kind of forced to go along with it for a little bit and then something happens which makes him you know object or whatever we get to see some of that from the other side. So we're used to being on the side of the heroes here. And I mean, obviously you still are, but now again, we have Admiral Picard dealing with the various captains of, of different ships and stuff and trying to keep people in the dark while he's doing certain things. And that's the only mild spoiler I'm going to give you because it was funny. It was so funny when it's like revealed as to what was going on in, in, in that situation. And I was like, yeah, we're on the other <laughs> side of it now. We can remember watching those episodes and be like, man, yeah, I can't believe that Admiral thought that they were going to, you know, push out our favorite captain here. But now it's our favorite Admiral going up against these otherwise unknown captains. So it's it's fun to watch. <laughs> A lot of it's fun to watch. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so, yeah, all I'm going to say to end all that, because we obviously have other things to talk about, is um, go watch it. Just Go watch it. Um, there's even a little there's even good. a little dig at the Enterprise D in there, which I yeah I was rather incensed when I heard it because the Enterprise D is like my favorite ship, and uh, <laughs> someone someone called it the fat one, and I just I got so mad. I was like, what? I remember, I paused like, what the what? It's the what? No, yeah, it was um, hardcore moment there taking a dig at the beloved Enterprise D. So. Yeah. Dare oh yeah, that's exactly what I said. I was like, "You what? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> that ship that carried the franchise for thirty plus years. How dare you?" <laughs> so, 
But we are not here to continue to talk about Picard, even though we could, because, um, you know, the next episode comes out this coming Thursday. Um, I can't wait to see which characters are going to come back that we're going to see in that one, you know, um, but there we are. Um, But again, we're here to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine and a very exciting episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. As always, they give us these great ones seemingly right towards the end of their, you know, season. And this one right. is kind of a sequel of sorts to another episode that we watched a while back in which Vedic Barile died. And, of course, we're talking about uh, the episode tonight called Shakar. So, David, right. would you like to give the recap or would you like me to do it? Uh, I think it's your turn. How about you do it? All right. So, again, real short, real sweet. If you haven't watched it yet, uh, again, what are you waiting on? You've had like 30 years to go watch it. So go watch it. It's called Shakar. It's the 70th episode of the franchise of the series and uh, in the third season here. So uh, quick summary, the, this episode is about uh, we first see Cisco is in uh, quarks playing darts with O'Brien and um, O'Brien's in the zone and he can't lose. And um, Cisco gets called away and he finds out that the first minister of the Bajoran provisional government has passed away and um, because this was sudden and unexpected the provisional government has already appointed someone else to be the um the leader the first minister in its place and it's none other than kai Wen. um cisco goes to deliver this news personally to cisco or to kira who is praying for Beriah over a very elaborate funeral something or another called a duranya and Flame of yes, kind, yeah. and I would just say as a personal side, that thing is beautiful, and I have looked for one, and I have never found one. So if someone knows where <laughs> one is or how to make it or whatever, hit me up because I mean it's I've I've loved it. I think it's a fantastic design. But anyway, anyway, Cisco tells Kira um, what's going on. Of course, she's a, she's upset because the last time that we saw Kai win, keep in mind this was when uh, Vedic Barail, um was critically wounded and they were having to replace parts of his brain with a positronic matrix, which was kind of removing the essence of the man from, right. From his body. And uh, eventually right. he just succumbs and dies. They decide to stop doing this replacement uh, therapy and he, and he dies. Um, right. So, you know, Kira has always blamed Win for pushing Barile instead of, uh, taking the time to really effectively heal and mend, and uh, that's why he died, and so she's never forgiven her for that, and now she finds out that Kai Wen, who has solely been interested in her own power, is now in charge of both the Bajoran uh, religious uh, community, as well as the you know actual political community. Right. <clears throat> so then... Kira gets another visit, this time from Kai Wen herself. And Kai Wen is telling her that, you know, that there's a project called the Rakantha Farming Project. And this is on Bajor in the Rakantha province, which was totally decimated by the Cardassians. They stripped the land, they poisoned the land, they've made it impossible for it to ever really support life unless they use this piece of farming technology called a reclamator, which will return fertility to the soil. The problem is... The reclamators, which apparently they have an extreme short supply, are already in use by a group of farmers in another province called the Decor province. 
The Decor province is Kira's home where she grew up and the people, the farmers that currently have the Reclamators are members of her former resistance cell when Bajor was when Bajor was occupied by the Cardassians. So Kaiwin right. asks Kira to go to Decor province, meet with the individuals there who have the Reclamators and convince them to turn them back over so that they can be involved in the Rakantha farming project. Kira goes, she meets with one of the farmers who turns out to be, again, the leader of her old resistance cell, a man by the name of Shikar. Shikar, again, former resistance leader, apparently brilliant fighter, but now he's just a farmer, and he tells her about how, you know, they were promised they could have the, repl- the reclamators for at least a year. And this was a promise given to them by the former uh, uh, first minister, first the one minister. who died. So, Kira tells him that, you know, she understands what he's trying to do here, but he needs to, you know, kind of be flexible here on what's going on and understand there's greater things at stake for all of Bajor than just, you know, his farm. He puts up a little bit of fight about that because he's talking about how he doesn't care about, you know, the rest of the world or the government or how the galaxy views the people he's trying to feed Bajorans and so forth. But he at least agrees to having a meeting with um, Kai Wen. Kira goes back, reports this to Kaiwen. Kaiwen gets upset and dismisses Kira. She then sends some security guards to go and arrest Shakar. But unbeknownst to Kaiwen, Kira was at Shakar's house when they came. So, realizing that Kaiwen has lied to her yet again, Kira gets angry and decides to help Shakar. They overpower the guards and they set out. They rendezvous with some other members of the Shakar resistance cell and head off into the mountains and caves to stay on the run and hide out while they try to figure out their next move in regards to the government and the reclamators. Like we keep wanting to say replicators for some reason. Yeah. Um, Close. Close word. And then try to figure this out. So apparently this drags on for about two weeks because now we see Shakar, not Shakar, but Kaiwen and Cisco have a meeting on Bajor. And Kaiwen asks Cisco to provide a military force to track down Shakar and his various followers. Cisco, of course, says no. Um, he tells her that, you know, this is clearly a internal Bajoran matter. He's not going to become her police force. And um, basically telling her it would obviously violate several different uh, Starfleet rules for him to do so and that she needs to find another way to solve this problem because even he can see that Shakar is uh, gaining traction by the day and she's losing her power base and so it would be in her best interest to you know de-escalate things right and then we watch the most remarkable scene ever in which Kaiwen works herself up to, from a small band of resistance fighters to all-out civil war if they don't turn these reclamators in. Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn, this was beautiful here. Like, I watched that scene, <laughs> and I was like, I mean, the, she, I mean, how she jumped, the, the, the mental gymnastics that character went through is fantastic. Go watch it. <laughs> so anyway, a, a shocked Cisco walks away. Um, she hires, or she calls for another, um, Bajoran colonel to go out and find Kira and Shakar. 
They ended up cornering this individual in a ravine because he thought that they were further away than uh, they actually were because they were using some technology to project their life signs further away. They had him set up in a perfect ambush, decided not to ambush him because, again, they were fellow Bajorans who were following orders and this was their home. And the whole thing about not wanting to shoot and kill your own people for doing, you know, doing your job and all that kind of stuff. So they meet with the colonel. They decide on a, a new plan which would de-escalate that particular moment and wrestle some power and control away from Kai Wen, and that is for Shakar to run as uh, running the election for first minister. At first, Kai Wen, you know, tries to laugh it off a little bit and then kind of says that it's a a coup, but then she realizes she can't fight it because Shakar's already got the approval of everybody in the military, so she can't fight the military. And so then she decides right. instead to right. endorse Shikar. So it looks like he's a shoe-in to be the right. new uh, first minister. Now, meanwhile, while this is going on, we have to, go, of course, talk about O'Brien being in the zone. And this was in regards to the dartboard and the dart <laughs> game that they've been playing in Corks for a while. Apparently, he got on a 47-game winning streak. And... Uh, Quark, always the the gambler and seeing a way to make money, had been arranging various games for O'Brien and uh, was making quite a racket on uh, Mr. O'Brien for a while there until (laughs) in his final game with the odds 15 to 1 on O'Brien, he's playing against a Vulcan and Quark hands him a drink which causes him to dislocate his shoulder and it's so badly damaged that now he needs surgery. <laughs> so he forfeits the game and loses. And Quark is devastated. Uh, understandably so. At odds of 15 to 1. <laughs> Makes sense. And all I yeah. want to say on that point is we have watched O'Brien on multiple occasions have his shoulder repaired, fixed, whatever. What's going on with Starfleet Medicine? They can't get this man's shoulder right. Like it's still slipping out of socket. It's still having damage. Come on. Either he is. What other times has that happened? I don't remember. So it's happened a few I don't times. Remember that happening before? All the way back, even the next generation, he was famous for tearing his uh, rotator cuff and throwing his shoulder out of socket on that um, uh, kayaking <laughs> holodeck program that he was using, which he apparently brought with him to uh, Deep Space Nine. And so Beverly has fixed right. his shoulder at least twice. I can think of at least two different episodes um, where his shoulder had to be fixed. And then here we are in Deep Space Nine, and O'Brien's and Bashir's like, oh man, you've got degenerative damage. We're going to have to replace your whole rotator cuff. It's like, what are you guys doing that this hasn't been fixed yet? <laughs> but other than that, that is essentially yeah. the episode. That's it. That's the highlights. Again, go watch it, and you can come back and finish listening to us. But if you're doing this live, then sorry, you can't. You can always rewatch this later. <laughs> and if you still agree, leave a comment. If not, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so David, of course, I'd like to start with you. What did you think of this episode? Yeah, you missing Louise Fletcher. She's definitely, uh, Kai Wynn is definitely the, in in many ways, the standout here. Just in terms of, I mean, the gaslighting this woman puts on is just masterful. Oh, yeah. She comes to Kira, and Kira's like, I'm angry that you don't give credit to uh, Burial for what he did, sacrificing himself for this treaty with the Cardassians. And she says, 
Well, I thought you knew him. He wasn't the type of man who wanted credit for what he did. He was a sacrificing, selfless man. He wouldn't want a bunch of glory and, and you know, accolades. How I, I thought you knew him better. Mm-hmm. And Kira just, like, takes it. But she never says it to win of, like, it's not about that. It's about the fact that you take credit for other people's work. Right. And you blame them when things go wrong. You only take the good, but you never take responsibility for the bad. Um, he deserves the credit. Yes, he was a selfless man. It's not about him getting credit in death or being um, – about him being like emotionally satisfied by his work. It's about, it's right to give people credit for what they did. Right. It means that you, uh, you are selfish taking all the credit. It just like, she doesn't give that oomph right back to Kai Wynn. I wish she did. It's, I can't tell it's because she didn't think of it in the moment or if it's because, you know, Oh, you're my spiritual leader. So I'm going to just, you know, bite my tongue a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Kai Wynn. Oh my goodness. The gaslighting. She just lays it on super thick. Um, cause she doesn't hold those values. Kaiwin wouldn't, no. she wants the credit. Like she wants all the accolades, even if, whether she did it or not, she wants them. And so to, to praise someone for acting in a noble way when you don't yourself actually value those things is, is just hypocrisy on the highest level. Uh, and then, uh, I think you kind of misstated a little bit what happened with Kaiwin and, and Kira later. Cause you know, when Kira goes to Kaiwin to offer the, the 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 truce like let's meet kai win does agree to it but then sends the guys and that's when kira is angry she lied to me for the last time uh she beats helps him beat up the guys um but yeah i mean kai win is and and kai and uh, kai win wants the reclamators for products that can be sold off world mm-hmm. meanwhile shakar is trying to as you pointed out feed bajorans like your your values are way out of whack, Kaiwin. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to be the spiritual leader of the Bajorans, you know, care for them, and you're not interested in the feeding part. Like you're gonna you're she's, gonna pass up on the feeding yeah, people so, in order to give yourself a international or interplanetary reputation. Yeah. She's so interested in the um the the view of Bajor and then being able to right. export things to other other planets, other colonies and so forth. She would much right. rather have this view of Bajor as being this glowing, productive planet. Meanwhile, her people are starving. And they've got kilometers upon kilometers of devastated wasteland that was once fertile land that they can't use. And rather than repair that so that her people can live and have food, she's like, no, just do this one area right here so that we can start exporting that to whomever. It makes no sense. It, right. it absolutely makes no sense. But I mean, I think that was obviously. There's no thinking. I think that was the point. It was yes. um, to show how skewed her her ambitions and her right. objectives are compared to everyone else. Because even Odo points out, no one really has the same perspective right. on Kai Wen that they do, because no one has worked with her right. and really seen her machinations the way that the crew of Deep Space Nine has. And I mean, she affected everybody in that episode of Life Support. She pushed Cisco's buttons. She certainly pushed Bashir's, making him continue to drug up Barile to make him work, you know. And then, of course, right. with Kira's relationship to Barile, she was already very upset. So, yeah, they have a very unique perspective on her. And then, as we also hear, you know, she's essentially rewriting the history. She's taken Barile's name completely right. out of 
the the work that he's done and she's heaped all those accolades on herself so to everyone there she seems like the person who is you know on the ball she is their savior she knows what's best for them so if she says the recant the farming project takes precedence over everything else yeah they seem to be willing to follow her which i i don't know what that says about the Bajoran people that they are so willing to overlook what should be obvious in favor of this other thing i i, I don't know that that bothers me a bit I, it's I don't know how to really describe that. It's just, it's very concerning. I would just theorize that when the Bajoran people are so invested as, as we see in this episode of just making their lives work, you know, just getting their lives back that dear goodness, the politics over wherever the politics happen. Like I don't have time to worry about all that. I have only this. And that's what Kai Wynn fails to realize and why things backfire for her is that she, made it personal to Shakar and his people and people like them to the point where they had to pay attention to the first minister race and they had to kick her out and give Shakar a chance because he actually understands them. He actually was a freedom fighter. We trust he'll be a good leader. I hope he is. I do like the guy quite a lot. Yeah, I have to admit, yeah, from the first time seeing him, yeah. um, I, I I liked him. He seemed like a very yeah. solid individual you know, and I did yes. pick up on little hints of perhaps an interest in Kira and, you know, comparing yeah. him, Shakar to Burial, he seems more her yeah. speed. He's, uh, he's Bye, a, Burial. Right. See ya. He's, Saw you're dead. He, he's a compassionate <laughs> man, but he's also a man of action. Like, you know, when those guards yes. showed up to take him into custody, like he already had the plan in motion. He knew he wasn't going to yes. go with them. He knew he wasn't going to be arrested. Right. Like, I like that. And she sprung into action right along with him. And he immediately says to Kira, this, you have a chance to get out of here and save yourself and not take any ramifications. He's not thinking of himself to the point where he's forgetting Kira. He knows who she is. He misses her. He's wants her to protect herself. And then he's happy to have her with him. And when they're doing all of their running around in the mountains, he is making decisions about what to do, taking advice. He, oh, I loved it. He was taking advice from the other two, and then he asked Kira, Kira, what do you think? And then he makes a decision that neither none of them suggested. He said, okay, let's actually go to the valley, and let's draw them into a trap. So he, he heard everyone's advice, but he still had his own thoughts. He still yeah. had his own plan. Uh, he was reasonable. He when, when Kira shows up, he knows why she's there. He wants to think about it. Um he he agrees to meet with the Kai, even though he doesn't think anything's going to come of it. Yeah, he's a great yeah. character all within one episode, and I, I don't know who the actor is who's playing him, but yeah, he's he's a <laughs> handsome looking dude for a guy who's apparently been farming for the last couple of years and in, in you know freedom fighting. He looks like he might be popping off a a, a male model magazine somewhere, but he's, he's I'll have great. to admit that I too. Like, like he's he's well <laughs> he's well put together considering he's supposed to be this long standing freedom fighter turned farmer. It's like okay, all of those things sound yeah. like incredibly hard tasks, hard jobs to have. You don't look like you've yeah, struggled exactly. at all. So you must have been. Must yeah. have been brilliant, well, man, fun. because you don't look like you've been hurt. So, yeah, what's great too is because when Kira sees him, he says, "You cut your hair," and she says, "You let it grow out." Like, yeah, you let it grow mm. out a little, didn't you? Looks good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. right. You're all styled up here. What's that? Uh... 
but you know, he he's, he is a great. But, yeah, he comes I, off cross as a great no, leader too. Yeah. Like you said, he listens to his people. He yeah. still makes it up his own mind, you know. But he still takes what they say into consideration, you know. And um, he did seem, even though he had a firm position, he did seem at least open to any kind of negotiation, trying to rework a deal. It's Kai Wynn who shuts all that stuff down, not Shakar. Shakar just is a person right. who he's like, okay, right. well, you know, I. I gave you an opportunity. I'm not going to give you another one to stab me in the back again. And he, he took action. Right. Um, yeah, he's right. definitely different from what we saw of Vedic Barile. And I mean, I've, I've long complained about Vedic Barile. I just never thought that him and Kira made much sense together. I mean, he's just, I don't want to blame it on him being this deeply spiritual religious man. I don't think that that's the thing that makes him, not a good pair for her. There was just something else about him that just seemed too, I guess, I don't know, seemed, seemed too weak for a woman of action the way that she is, you know? Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. He's, he's the, Barile was the man who was supposed to be kind of slow to action, very thoughtful. And as a yin yang to Kira, you kind of think it makes sense, but I think it's an example. At least my uh, the way I think of it is like I think I've already talked about this. I think he was attracted to the idealized yes, version of Kira. She's a woman of action, so he likes mm-hmm. that about her. And same thing for her. She's wants to be spiritual and she wants to obey the prophets, but her faith has always been something that she's kind of struggled with, and so she admires him for just being kind of you know just very calm and all that. And so I think they like the idealized version of the other. But in this case, they have a relationship. Shakar is someone who knows her. They've worked together. They work together still. They work together well. Um, it really makes you ask questions. Has Kira lost a part of herself by becoming a part of the machine on Deep Space Nine? She's a part of the government. She's here on business. Has she lost her touch? Has she lost her roots? Um, and Shakar really calls that out of her. Uh, Burial never could have called that out of her. That's just not the kind of person he was. It's just it, he was something else. And um, yeah, I, I mean, if if he is going to be the first minister now, I really hope that this character comes back. I am very happy with the idea that they, Kira and him, would get together. Um, on, I, it seems like it might go that way, but we don't have a definitive, you know, push that that direction just yet. But. Yeah, I, I like Shakar a lot, and I think he's a much better fit for her than, than Brian yeah. ever was. Um, I also love the story that we hear at the at, at Shakar's dinner table there when uh, Lupaza and Pharrell show up, and Kira asks him why he never got his arm replaced. I thought it was a remarkably uh, touching story. Oddly detailed, and I, only, and I only say oddly in the sense that it it was just so unexpected for for us for star mm-hmm. trek i think to tell a, a story like that of this and and then trying to imagine it you know, this man who um made a promise to his his gods to give up his life yeah. to save his friends and the way he tells the story, like it, it almost seems flippant at first, but then you know, as he as he continues right. to tell it, you can tell how you know moved he is by by what happened. And right. so, um, I do want to recount that story just you yeah. know, however briefly. And it was basically, 
Sure. Yeah. Again, Pharrell, he only has one arm. And Kira asks him why he never got it um, never got it replaced. He talks about how he went to the Federation doctors when uh, the Federation showed up. And they told him, yeah, no problem. We can you know, re- regrow you an arm in a week. It'll feel just like your old one. You, you won't even tell the difference. Good as new, right? And uh, he still couldn't bring himself to go with it, go through with it, because you know, in the event that caused him to lose the arm, he talks about it was a interrogation facility, and everybody on the team had been captured. Apparently, Shakar, Lupaza, Kira had all been captured, and so he made a deal with the prophets that if they gave him the strength to free his friends, that he would, in exchange, right. give up his life. And uh, he said right. that, you know, he, he obviously found the strength to do what he needed to do, and he freed everyone out, and it turned out that all it cost him was his arm, and he felt like the, the gods were right. generous. That was it a was a low price, price to pay to, yeah. to free his, his friends and obviously his, his family, you know? Right. So, um, I, yeah. you should, again, another scene you should go and watch. I just found that story just remarkably touching and, I mean, surrounded constantly by all this yeah. technology, which even by his own report could... You know, fix him like that. Regrow his arm in a week. You know, be like it never happened. And he actively still turns it down um, in order to honor this, you know, this deal, this bargain that he made. Uh, I I don't know. I found it very moving. So um, (laughs) I thought it was great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great, great moment of um, sacrifice. What does it mean to really sacrifice? Uh, and he meant his like I'll give my life to free my friends kind of kind of bargain he made, um, and so yeah he feels like he made an oath and uh, he wasn't called to pay the full part of the oath but he was paid something. he paid mm. for, for for the oath he paid something uh, there was a price that was paid and uh, yeah I mean part of my mind is like you can still be thankful for what the god for what the prophets let you do and still get a new arm. But yeah, there is something about yeah, no, I'm I'm still paying I'm still paying every day for what I have today, which is my freed friends and so um yeah, he's actually he's also a great character cuz later on when they're walking in the mountains and the woman says, "If I ever get nostalgic for the old days again, shoot me." And he says, "You know these mountains are getting taller, I'm getting older." Oh, man. Um and like they're they they say like I we can continue going if we have to, but you know, I'm. I want to like. I'm tired of running. I'll uh, follow any yeah. order you give, but I'm tired yeah. of running. Let's let's fight. You know, so yeah. that's the line. It was a good one, and um, yeah, it actually leads me up to the whole like standoff they have there in the valley. Um, great moment once again. Shakar is a bold leader. He steps out with Kira into kind of a no man's land type situation. Kind of gives himself up to to talk terms with the other the other leader who they recognized, like they had both had people in their sights, both Kira and him. And they both said, you know, I, I can't shoot them. They're Bajorans. I can't do it. And Shakar says, don't be sorry. I can't do it either. So they walk out and uh, that's a great moment where that guy, I can't remember his name. Uh, the other leader, um, he's like, you know, what's going on basically. Like, this is crazy. And that leads to the finale of where he and the other military folks are like, yeah, we're backing him for, for first minister. Um, I'm trying to think of the actor is. I know I recognize the actor him playing somewhere. Pharrell. The guy who is that him? William Lucky yeah. is that who it is? No, no, not Pharrell. I'm talking about the guy who played the leader. Oh, of the, other... the guy who played the leader um, of 
the Colonel. John Doe. Yeah, you've Dome. seen him in a lot of yeah. things. He typically pops up in a lot of like uh, cop dramas. He uh, he plays that kind yeah. of militaristic bent character quite well. He was on. Um, I, he's a great character actor. I, I've seen him on pretty much all of them. You know, Law and Order. Uh, right. I think he was on um, the Chicago one. Apparently, he was in. He was in Gotham as yes. Carmine Falcone. That's he was also on. What I he was I'm also on ER because everybody was in the nineties. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, he certainly got around. But he plays that kind of soft-spoken, but you know, plenty of strength and reserve type character very well. You know. Right. He was also on Person of Interest. Yeah. I was like, I think I saw him yeah. on Person of Interest, but he like played a a recurring character, a senator, yeah. somebody or other. But anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, I liked, um, I just like the whole dynamic of this episode. You have a religious leader, like, let me put it this way. In America, we talk about the separation of church and state. I personally am one who thinks that there is a reason why church and state should be on some level separate. Like, you shouldn't let, uh, you shouldn't let religious leaders have the authority to kill people for, uh, disagreeing with the religious tenets. That's wrong. You shouldn't basically be able to kill someone for wrong think. Uh, but I also think that the government should be influenced by religious precepts sometimes. Like, morality uh, is informed by your belief system, and governments are, uh, in part, enforcing morality. You know, you can't do certain things, and there are punishments for those things. Um, but in general, it's certainly a mistake in this case for Kai Wen. I mean, regardless of the whole church and state option, Kai Wen is not a trustworthy individual, she definitely shouldn't be allowed to have any more power than she has as it is. And um, then we, we start branching that out. Okay, well, what happens when people are trying to rebuild their lives? Well, you know, if the government gets too authoritarian, especially in the aftermath of, uh, you know, a, 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 like, you know, the, the withdrawal of occupying forces, civil wars can break out in countries trying to rebuild. You know, when the government's trying to reorganize and the people are trying to take back their own kind of government, you know, political destiny, they can turn to violence in their own countries against each other as they uh, start fighting over who's now in charge. And that's just as, in some ways, just as bad. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of the idealized yeah. version in this episode of the people don't want to actually fight each other. They actually recognize their true threat is the is Kai Win in this episode and that they need to just confront her and defeat her and not in a coup. You know, she says, oh, this is a coup. And he says, no. And in fact, uh, Kira says, you know, you can run. No one's going to, you know, hurt you, uh, but you're going to lose. Uh, you don't have the the votes, um, which is that's exactly how things should be done. Of course, as you pointed out, you know, this is a show that says, you know, America, uh, the, the, the earth has kind of figured out the shoulds and is is going is trying to help other nations with their or their planets with their uh, their cultures. Um, and yeah, this is a moment where the Bajorans actually rise above what could have been a really bad situation if things had turned even more ugly than they were already getting. So, yeah. Well, I also think that, you know, Kai Wen in this particular position, um, she kind of shows us what happens when you blend the church and state and they're allowed to run amok in a person so full of their own ambition. This is kind of the danger that um, kind of prompts that whole idea of the separation of church and state. Like you said, you know, you, you feel like, you know, right. the government should be at least be informed 
by religion. I would argue that it is in the sense that, you know, you have, you know, various people in positions of power, senators, governors, and so forth, who all have, um, um, to some degree, some, you know, religious affiliation, some feel like they're deeply spiritual, some don't, but I'm just saying that we, they kind of run the spectrum. So they are informed by their religious beliefs on how to, move through the world, what they think is right, how they should conduct themselves at work, so forth and so on. Do they follow necessarily a precise, um, you know, manual or doctrine or edict or whatever that comes from their religion and brings it into their office every day and says everything must check off these particular boxes? No. And that's what the separation, you know, kind of protects us from is people doing stuff like that. But again, they're still informed by their beliefs and by, you know, how they were raised and things like that. So it still happens. Kai Wen, on the other hand, is a person who, and we watch in this episode, she uses both her position as first minister and as the Kai of Bajor to justify everything that she does. She, when she, when Kira comes to her and says, you know, I've gotten Shakar to agree to a meeting with you, um, uh, she right. counters with, did you tell him that you were there on the authority of the first minister? Not Kai, first minister. And then when she's talking to Cisco later on, she now phrases it in the form of, you know, again, ramping everything up to civil war, but she phrases it in the in the perspective of, this is a test for me from the prophets. This is a spiritual thing yeah. that I must overcome to show that I am worthy and right. that these, you know, disbelievers or unbelievers or whatever term that you want to use for them, that these people are a direct challenge, not to her authority as first minister, but to her authority as Kai. That's how she phrases everything to Cisco. Right. So again, it shows this. She has a clear distinction that she is uh, very much aware of and ready to manipulate depending on who it is she's speaking to, which shows she's really not worthy right. for either one, in my opinion. She was definitely right. the the wrong right. choice there, and they were right to want to remove her from, from power. But yeah, she definitely is kind of that right. idea of if you were to take the two notions, politics and religion, and blend them for however many good people that you might get out of that, there will be a terrible one, and she is the embodiment of the terrible one. And that's the one that we've got to watch out for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The whole the whole purpose of American governmental structure is the idea that go- that power should be not it should be split as amongst as many as many factions and as many you know split it in as many ways as possible. And we're seeing the problems of when you get it let it, you know pool into one area too much. Yeah, you just you made a great point. She will put on whatever hat she feels is necessary to get her point across. If she wants to come off as the first minister sending, you know, military people or security forces, that's who she is. If she wants to make an emotional appeal to Cisco, oh, mm-hmm. you're the emissary. I want the advice mm-hmm. from the emissary. I'm just a loyal I'm trying to do the know, will of the prophets, of the right? Bajoran faith, I'm trying to prophets. follow the will yeah. of the prophets. She says um, that, you know, uh, and and yeah. when he tells her, and, and that's the thing I talked about Cisco in that scene, he was very neutral. He only dealt with her in the realm of, I am a Starfleet officer and I am outside of the Bajoran conflict, the Bajoran problem. We we right. are a friend to right. Bajor, yes, but you have internal issues that we cannot solve for you and we won't right. solve for you. So, yeah. And it's really interesting in that scene because, you know, earlier she said to Kira when she was pitching, you know, let's have, I'm going to have you go down there for me if you would and you're trying to negotiate this. 
she said that, you know, the Bajorans are going to, in a couple of years, try and join the Federation, you know, apply to join the Federation. And this, this that's why we need to have exports. We need to be able to, you know, prove ourselves to the other planets of the Federation, yada, yada, yada. And then when Cisco is like, oh, we, I'm not going to send a military force and be your arm. Like, no, it's not going to happen. She's like, oh, well, I guess we'll just have to withdraw our application to the Federation. Like, that was her right. threat. <laughs> like, we're not going to join your team. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, Kai well, Wynn, calm says, down like, over that there. That seems like a massive overreaction on your, your part, you know. And it's, yes, that's exactly And he's absolutely right, yeah. you know. And you know, I always found it interesting that she brings that up to Kira about how she wants to make sure that Bajor is viewed a certain way by all the other member worlds of the Federation. Um, it's always been my understanding, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's always been my understanding that the main, um, the main thing that was looked at for membership was that a people had solved their planet's major issues, right? You didn't have massive poverty at the same time that you had other individuals with huge economic, you know, wealth and whatever. You didn't have war, terror, disease, famine, all the rest of it running rampant in your streets and ignoring that in order to be a part of something else. Um, so her her thought process here of exporting these foodstuffs rather than using them to solve her people's problem is actually the opposite of what she would need to do in order to bolster how the planet looks for a federation membership. If she had instead said that the Recantha right. farming project was more about getting more food so that more Bajorans could be healthy and self-sustaining and therefore make them look better as right. a member world because now all of their people were guaranteed to eat, you know, um, that would have right. been, in my opinion, a better ploy to use in this situation. Yeah, yeah, a better pitch. Yeah. The fact that, yeah, the whole idea, I mean, it really undermines her yeah. whole pitch of, like, you know, you join the Federation because your culture is so stable that you can help participate in the galaxy-wide Federation. You can help them help others. If you are needing, to the point of requesting, a military force from the Federation mm -hmm. to instore order... No, that's a major step back in the wrong direction. You're actually undermining your case. The reason the Federation is there on Deep Space Nine as a neutral force is to help protect exactly. Bajor against the Cardassians. Exactly. Not there to, as as Cisco says, we're not here to make political input. We're not here to help solve your internal strife. Right. We are. That's not our purpose. He doesn't say the rest of it, but that's not their purpose. And I love it. It seems like at a moment, there was a moment where he seemed to be like thinking about her request. And like, I, I always took that him as him being diplomatic like and allowing her to get out what she wanted to say rather than cutting her off right away. I, that's how I always took that moment yeah. because it okay. would have been, you know, she is the leader of those people. She's their spiritual leader and she is now their right. uh, political head, you know. So I always took that as him being diplomatic right. and being, you know, respectful of her positions and titles by allowing her to speak fully and get that out there. Not that he was actually considering what she wanted to do. And, you know, there's a lot of people who seem to forget that, like you just said, that the Federation is was never there 
was never there to instruct the Bajoran people on how to live and take care of things for them and like that. The the whole reason the Federation came was because the Bajoran people united and threw off their alien oppressors. And they requested this aid so that Right. The the Federation right. didn't the Federation off the didn't do it. The yeah, Bajorans did. But they were in a weakened position after having freeing themselves. They asked the Federation to come in and basically just help them, right. you know, keep the predators away from picking at the body, basically. Keep them keep the Cardassians away and various right. other scavengers stuff so that they can rebuild, so they can, you know, right. repair and heal and then join the Federation and enjoy that greater protection that way. And I think that gets lost a lot because we do see a right. lot of interpersonal things that happen, and we see we hear these requests a lot from a lot of other a lot of other cultures. But yeah, even on Next Generation, it was it was there was never going to be the Starship Enterprise charging in to fight some you know internal battle or whatever for somebody. They would fight extraplanetary right. things for you, sure. You know, but only so much as to right. maintain or help establish peace on the homeworld, not not to do anything else. So right. I always find it very interesting. People are like, well, the Federation should just go in there and they've got the technology and they can do that. But that's not the point. The point is for it to, to give right. the people time, not technology, not, you know, solve the problem for them, but give them time to come up with their own solutions, which was like, there was a, a prevailing argument about, right. you know, these, the reclamators. And it's like, well, why didn't they just go to the Federation and get some more reclamators? Not the Federation's problem. They had already solved the problem. They had invented right. the technology, the reclamators. That was a Bajoran thing. Right. So the Bajorans needed to figure out a way to right. either mass produce rec reclamators or work out deals with people right. to get them to where they needed to be. That's right. the only reason why Cisco couldn't do anything here. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's actually a great. It's not yeah. something we've really talked about in a while, at least because Deep Space Nine doesn't really deal with it. But the um, the prime directive of you don't interfere with the cultures and the technolo technological advances of underdeveloped societies. A couple episodes ago, we were told that the Bajorans were actually spacefaring yeah. before Earth Earth ever was. We had the whole mm -hmm. solar sailor basically thing. So we know that the Bajorans are capable. They are not a. They're not a primitive society like ones that we're supposed to like. Not you know introduce ourselves and mess with their whole religious technological development. This is supposed to be uh, them working out their own problems, and that's true of both the more primitive societies and in this case Bajor, which is a, a culture in, uh, in, in trying to rebuild. And uh, yeah, if they, it's it's a brilliant kind of point of like if you. If you give someone a crutch, at some point, if they come to depend on that crutch too much, then that is actually hampering their them in a major way. It's hampering their growth, and this is a perfect example of that. Bajor, even though they are a brilliant and technologically capable species, they have to rebuild. They have to do it on their own terms. They have to do it within their own time frame, uh, and the Federation is there simply to give them the, the security to do so safely within their own borders, within their own boundaries. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 I think, I think a pretty, it's a smart thing that D, uh, Star Trek has done is the idea that so, these cultures are, uh, only allowed to interact with the Federation when they are so mature enough to gonna, do so. 
and that we need to give uh, them. I was going to say this just brings yeah, up go ahead, my go favorite ahead. next gen episode, season two, um, Pen Pals, <laughs> in which we watch the round robin yeah, discussion. Yeah. You know, free of rank. I love yeah, it. For, the like scene is one, the yeah. scene is exactly why, and it's you know <laughs> it's laying out some of the tenets of the Prime Directive, and as Picard says, you know the the Prime Directive is important mostly because it protects us is what he says it protects us from getting into positions where you know we may cause more harm than good you know and um you know we listen to everybody present their right. reason for interfering with this planet and the young girl sarjanka that data had you know befriended but um you know picard makes great points like we can we could uh -huh. you know in this situation here with cisco and the Kai is a perfect example. He could intervene. They could be like, oh, this is a this is a worthwhile project here. They need this. You could make the argument that it it makes sense for what they want to do right. here. But, you know, turn that around a little bit. What if, you know, now right. he's got a military force there on the planet enforcing these rules of the Kai? Well, what if she dies the next day and a new Kai comes into power who didn't like Cisco doing that. Now all of their hard work to, you know, gain the friendship of the Bajorans could be evaporated overnight. Not to mention, you know, the position of Deep Space Nine next to the wormhole, yeah. the Gamma Quadrant, yeah. all those things could be thrown into jeopardy if, if Cisco had taken another route here, you know. So the Prime Directive is it's an interesting rule and right. it's it's funny to me that as integral as it is to everything Starfleet. And in all the franchises that we've had over the, what, 60 years, um, there's no concrete like listing or definition of all the tenets <laughs> of it. You get different interpretations here and there. You kind of have to smash it together. Right. But the two captains, I will say, the two captains talk about the Prime Directive the most are Jean-Luc Picard and Catherine Janeway. So if you are interested in kind of trying to, I guess, do a, what's it called, a, a kit bash, I guess, of the uh, Prime Directive, you got to watch Next Gen and you got to watch Voyager because it's in there a lot. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I, plan, I imagine I'll watch Voyager at some point. I imagine I'll probably wait until we're closer to being done with Deep Space Nine before I hit up uh, Voyager. But yeah, yeah, definitely need to, to do that. It's, I mean, if part of the reason I haven't watched Picard is because, you know, I know there are other movies I need to watch. And I think I mentioned it last week, like, you mm -hmm. know, the whole Seven of Nine. I want to make sure I'm caught up on her storyline too before I, I Gosh, do anything David. else. So I'm just so yeah. jealous because it's like I've seen everything. Like there's I, I've seen and not only have I seen it all, but I've seen them all like multiple times. Like it it, it just there I have nothing. I can't say that. Like I mean, I wish that there was like a whole Trek series out there that I hadn't seen and could watch. I don't have it. Yeah. I don't have it. Turns out Rodney. Oh is, man, is I mean, just uh, <laughs> someone come up out of nowhere, you know, and and they wrote, produced, and filmed, you know, uh, a twelve year run of Star Trek and never released it until now, you know that just right. I don't know. I, I'm so I just I don't know what else to say. I'm jealous. You get you you haven't watched Voyager. You haven't watched Enterprise. You haven't watched all the Deep Space Nine yet. You certainly haven't watched any of the new shows: Picard, nope. Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy. Nope. I've seen them all. I got nothing to live for. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Until the next yeah. Except next Until the next episodes come out. There, I, I, there is no more binge watching for me because um, uh, I've, I've done them all. So man, yeah. sucks. 
So, well, final thoughts on this episode. I mean, we talked more about, you know, Kai Wynn and and her machinations here with Sakaar. We didn't really talk about O'Brien much, which, I mean, honestly, I would say it's fine because the story, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't enhance anything, really. I, 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 I just say this, when, when Quark puts the beer mug in O'Brien's hand, they didn't rehearse that scene enough. It looks so fake. It looks produced. I thought, I, I seriously thought that they had just faked it, that O'Brien and Bashir wanted to get out of the, the game or they wanted to teach Quark a lesson. And what they were doing was pretending that O'Brien had hurt his arm and I yeah. wish it had been that because when it turns out he actually hurt his arm from a freaking mug of beer, like what? And then Bashir's like, oh, 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 oh I gotta go take, take it to the search me. I'll be back, I'll be back by tomorrow. I was like, you guys just needed to give these characters something to do in this episode, and I, I appreciate that. I understand that, and it's it made for some lighthearted moments in an otherwise serious episode. But it, like, it, it felt like they they could have done something more with it i guess you know and it turned into just yeah we're playing darts and quarks having people bet on it, it seemed like it had it lost it, again i wish it had just been the teach quark a lesson yeah. as opposed to oh he hurt himself i don't know it just it felt like a little flat and i didn't think that the acting when it ha- when it was supposed to have happened made any sense unless it was it was intentionally produced Behavior. Well, I feel like this but is one of those, you know, that we didn't need a B yeah. story. We should have just focused more of the time on the A story. Yeah. Um, there are certain aspects of the A story that I feel sure, like we right. needed more of. Like, for example, the ending where, you know, Shakar and Kira and the other colonel come into Kai's office and they're telling her all about, you know, he's going to run and be unopposed and all that stuff. Like, to see a little bit more of that exchange between all of them there i i would have appreciated that right. i would have appreciated seeing more of the bajoran countryside as they tried to be tracked down and having to maybe hide and dodge in some caves or a river or something you know something along those lines to make it a little bit more dramatic a little bit more exciting we there was plenty of time there right. for it but we had to give it to this o'brien stuff which i mean i like the guy but again my main complaint you live in the 24th century why haven't you gotten your shoulder fixed like this they can regrow whole arm. We found out in this episode they can regrow a whole arm in a week. Yeah. Why are you still having rotator cuff issues? Yeah. Like, come on. So yeah, yeah I I didn't like that Question. either. But again, overall, great episode. The uh, third to last. So we've got two more episodes in this season before we move into season four. That's right. And um, I cannot wait. Yeah. So. Um, Yes, Next and that is a Jadzia Dax episode. Jadzia, we we feel like we still don't know you, uh, and um, no, I, I feel yeah. like it's been an age since she had a, an episode centered so, on her. So it seems like we're gonna uh, come up on some stuff with Dax, yeah. and that's always it. I think I think it was Meridian Jeez. the last time she had an episode centered on her. Wow! Oh my Meridian. goodness. Well, I guess she was part of nah, the past not tense episode. No, nah, you know, back in time. <laughs> yeah, no. she's kind of not. not doing it. Yeah, that was more about Cisco and Bashir, <sighs> um, and mainly Cisco. Um, so, 
<laughs> but as always, uh, just wanted to let everybody know that uh, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts as the Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Um, and you can also find us wherever you do your social media stuff. Again, um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and of course YouTube. All right, again, I do apologize for the Twitter mishaps. We'll we'll should be back up and running um, here really soon. So don't worry about that. And um, yeah. That's it. Stay tuned, because obviously I'll be talking more about uh, Star Trek Picard. And then we have to get to our next um, After Dark at some point. And um, I blame that on myself. I've actually ah. been having a little bit of a struggle getting into this uh, book. So, yeah. It the doesn't, third one? Um, yeah, I, I, I would say, yeah, I can understand why. I can understand why. Okay. Um, it's, yeah. No. We'll have to go into yeah. details now. Well, I mean, I'm obviously going to gonna complete it. That's not a not a question. I'm going to complete it. But yeah, it's just uh, right. Not, right. it doesn't read as well, in my opinion, yet. Anyway, so we'll see. Um, but otherwise, guys, until next time, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.